Good morning, everybody. Thank you guys so much for being here today in the middle of this winter wonderland that we have going on outside. Thank you to everyone that's uh, watching at home today. Um, we are continuing the series that Josh kicked off last week called Pray Like This. Um, and last week, we kind of went over in the book of Matthew how Jesus was sitting on top of a mountain surrounded by his disciples. Uh, and it was there that he provided them with a model of prayer that they could quickly adapt into their lives. And all this time later, we are still adapting to our lives. Um, 2,000 years down the road, I'm so thankful that Jesus gave us this model that we could live by. Um, I think that prayer and being able to communicate with God, the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe, is something that we can all improve on no matter how comfortable or uncomfortable with it we are. Um, that's why I'm so thankful that Jesus gave us his prayer as a guide for our lives. But today, we're going to be looking at a different way to pray that Jesus modeled for us. Uh, one that often took him away from his closest followers, away from the crowds and the need of others, and into isolation with God. And it's a way that is very countercultural to how we live today. Uh, it's a discipline that uh, is incredibly unique. A lot of times, the way that Jesus lived and the way that he asks us to live is uh, referred to as upside down. It's not really the way that the world works, if that makes any sense. It's so opposite of how we're told to do things. The world says, love yourself. Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. The world says to hate your enemy. And Jesus says to love your enemy. The world says, store up your treasures on earth through money and possessions. And Jesus says to be generous to others and store up your treasures in heaven. The world tells us to be first. Jesus says, the first shall be last. The world says to be first, seek honor. And Jesus says, the first shall be last and seek servanthood. And certainly, as it pertains to our conversation today, the world tells us to be continually connected to others and to the rest of the world through things like social media, apps, uh, vehicles that have their own Wi-Fi now, uh, 5G, smartwatches, do everything that you can to stay connected. Oh, and measure your life by productivity, too. But Jesus says that there's actually power in solitude, being disconnected from everything else, being disconnected from others, and being solely engaged with God. Throughout his life, we see that Jesus teaches us the importance of creating space to encounter God free from all distractions. One of these examples is in the biblical book of Mark. We have four books in our Bible uh, written by four different authors that uh, tell us different perspectives on Jesus's life. We call these the Gospels, or roughly translated, the good news. And Mark, a Christian shortly after Jesus's death and resurrection, is a very fascinating author among these four. Uh, but we're going to talk about that a little bit more later. In Mark's first chapter regarding the life of Jesus, he highlights what we'll just call a very hectic day for Jesus. Not, not your normal day. There's a lot going on here, 
okay? And it's Mark chapter 1, 21 through 34. We're going to get into it. So Mark tells us the day began with Jesus being in the town of Capernaum, where he began to teach in the synagogue, which for all intents and purposes was kind of like a church before church buildings were a thing. In the middle of Jesus's teaching, a demon-possessed man comes in to the synagogue to interrupt Jesus. And he ended up getting healed by Jesus, and the people in the synagogue just went nuts. Absolutely nuts. Jesus was all the rave right there in that moment. Mark tells us amazement gripped the audience. And that audience went and they spread the news about Jesus all over the region. That's how the day started. That's a pretty good start to a day, if you ask me. Continuing on in Jesus' hectic day, he leaves the synagogue and heads to Simon and Andrew's house. Those were two of his disciples. He finds Simon's mother-in-law sick in bed with a fever. Jesus goes to her bedside, he heals her, and then she gets up and cooks dinner. Now, personally, I feel like maybe she probably should have taken it easy for a night. You know, I'm not going to eat dinner that someone that just had a fever is going to cook. But, you know, hey, if you're healed, you're healed, right? So healing the sick, healing a demon-possessed man, it's, it's been a pretty unique day for Jesus. So Mark tells us that the sun has gone down. And at this point, Jesus may be thinking that he can go and he can get some rest. But that's not a reality because word travels very fast. And many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. Now, I don't know about you, but after an exhausting day, after a very tiring day filled with all sorts of responsibilities, a lot of activity, a lot of needy people, a lot of healing, and why not some demons thrown in there, I probably want to go home and rest. I probably want to take some time off. I would typically want a day to myself. I want to do a few things for myself and find some way to try to recharge my batteries, but not Jesus. Mark tells us before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. So before he gets back into the rat race of the world where he continually is competing with others' demands and others' needs, he gets away to spend time with God. He gets away to a secluded place where nobody else is going to compete with his attention. Nobody else can compete with his time and nobody else can compete with his heart. Jesus is well aware that everything that goes on in his life, all the, all the rhythms of people coming in and out of his life and the different things that he needs to do and he wants to do and that he has to do, um, time alone with God is not going to come naturally during all of this. So instead, he has to create the time. He has to create the time where it can be just him and God. Jesus could have done anything with that time alone, but he created it to pray and to communicate with his father. We don't know what that communication looked like. He could have been worshiping God. He could have been having some deep, honest venting. I've been there. Perhaps he prayed for his own strength. Maybe he prayed for other people, or maybe it was a combination of all of those things above. We're not sure. Regardless, what we, th- what we see throughout scripture is that 
a priority for Jesus was being alone with his father. And that's something that I think a lot of us can learn. If Jesus has lived a model that we can follow, our lives will be better for following it. Am I right? We can learn from this model even as uncomfortable or impossible as it may seem at times. There's this guy named Brennan Manning who wrote a book called Abba's Child, and it tells this story. A man who made an appointment with the famous psychologist Carl Jung to get help for his chronic depression um, went to Jung, and Jung told him to reduce his 14-hour workday to eight. 14-hour workday, man. Anyway, um, reduce his 14-hour workday to eight, go directly home, and spend the evenings in his study, quiet and all alone. So the depressed man went to his study each night, shut the door, read a little Herman Hess or Thomas Mann, played Chopin or Mozart, and then after weeks of this, he went back to the psychologist complaining that he saw no improvement in his life. On learning how the man had spent his time, Jung said, but you, you didn't understand. I don't want you to be with Hess or Mann. I don't want you to, to be with Chopin or Mozart. I wanted you to be completely alone. The man looked terrified and exclaimed, I cannot think of any worse company than myself. And the psychologist told him, yet this is the self that you inflict on other people every single day. It's a cute little story, isn't it? But it's to that point that we have to consider what type of faith would we inflict on other people and others in this world if we made time to routinely be alone with God? If we made that time in our lives, how differently would we handle the obstacles that we face? How differently would we love the others in our lives? How differently would we enjoy all of the good things that come our way? If we're away from our phones, if we're away from all of the distractions, if we put ourselves solely in the presence of God. Now, I can't speak on the impact that it would have on everyone else's life, only my own, but I do think that we have to consider if Jesus Christ needed to carve out time to be alone with God, how much more so do we need to do that? Although Jesus experienced the full range of human emotions, he was still a fully perfect human. Yet he knew how much he needed to spend time with God. How much more so do we, very imperfect individuals, living among many other in this messy, messy world, need to put ourselves before God to continually put our best selves forward? You know, as I mentioned a little bit ago, I, I, I talked about Mark and how he's unique among the four authors of the gospel. I want to dive into that a little more. A lot of Bible scholars said that Mark tells his gospel in a rush. Uh, I, I can understand why people would say that, uh, or in a hurry. His favorite expression is something that translates roughly to immediately or at once, because he says it 39 times in 16 chapters. Mark seems incredibly enthusiastic to tell us about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, so much so that he even skipped Jesus' birth. Have you ever noticed that? Not covered in Mark. 
He tells the story of Jesus much faster than Matthew, Luke, and John. In fact, it only takes the average reader about an hour and 15 minutes to read the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end. So note to self, if you're not backing one of the teams tonight in the Super Bowl, there's something to do for an hour and 15 minutes. You can read the book of Mark. It may seem rushed with enthusiasm to tell us about the events of Jesus' life, but in Mark's account of Jesus, we see so many times that Jesus pressed pause and sought out that solitude with God. He refused to run at the pace that everyone else runs at. I'm not going to share all of those examples, but let's look at a few of them that I think we, that can have an impact on our lives. In chapter three, Mark tells us, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. So after a stretch of healing and crowds gathering, Jesus was about to select not only the individuals that would do ministry with him, but the ones that would carry the baton long after his physical self is gone. So what did Jesus do before making a significantly big decision? He got away from the crowds and he went to spend time with God. If we're following Christ's example, then we need to make that time with God part of our decision-making process as well. A little bit later on, Mark tells us immediately after this, which is immediately after feeding the 5,000 people, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills to, by himself to pray. The toll of having so many people counting on you was undoubtedly exhausting for Jesus. So how did he recharge his batteries? By going away alone to spend time with God. In Mark 7, we're told that Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. I love that one. I can't read that without smiling. He couldn't keep it a secret because Jesus doesn't lie, right? It's, I mean, it makes me laugh because Jesus was trying to get away, be alone, he was trying to keep it a secret, but he just couldn't. I like to imagine someone was like, are you going to be staying in that house over there? And Jesus is like, nope, not that one. How about that one? A little adobe hut over there. That one? Oh, he's, oh, he's not answering. Guys, this is it. We'll see you in 20 minutes. Poor guy just couldn't get away. Couldn't keep a secret. Nearing the end of Jesus' life, he's traveling with the disciples. But even with a group, even among people, he finds a way to get away from everybody else. Mark tells us they were on their way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Jesus has already told them about the events in Jerusalem that are waiting for him, okay? So those events would continue after the Last Supper, the last time that Jesus sat and ate with his disciples, once again outlining the catastrophic events that were waiting for him. Afterward, they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would beg his disciples to stay and pray with him and to be with him and to be with God during this excruciating time. Much like I'm sure a lot of us will one day encounter, Jesus didn't want to be alone at the end of his life. 
Yet even under an unbelievable amount of stress, Mark tells us that Jesus left them again and prayed the same prayer as before. Asking God to change his circumstances, remove the seemingly inevitable suffering of the betrayals and of the cross. Throughout all the Gospels, we see this routine and rhythm of Jesus prioritizing time alone with God over everything and everyone. So as we wrap our minds around our day-to-day and what that would look like for us to routinely get away and spend time alone with God, uh, we, everyone in this room, everyone watching at home, we are undoubtedly going to think of reasons why we cannot do that. We are undoubtedly going to think of all of the things that will come up in our life that will keep us from having that routine. We just can't follow Jesus' example in that regard. We are busy people. We have packed schedules. You know, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, so kids are home all the time. Unless they have sports or events, we take them to those sports and events. Uh, We're running them around all over the place. Uh, Or maybe they're at the age where they don't have those things, and they are home all of the time. I'm looking into the camera and speaking to my wife right now. It's, It's tough when you try to take a shower and you're interrupted seven times. It's tough being home with the kids constantly. Um, Maybe you're so busy with a long list of tasks or work is overwhelming or you have so many errands to run and you can't even imagine carving out time alone. And some of you probably feel selfish doing that. You probably feel selfish carving out time for yourself and for God, like you're neglecting your family or like that's going to make you a bad husband or a bad wife or a bad son, bad daughter, bad employee. I think once again, we should be encouraged by the life of Jesus because the simple fact is whenever Jesus spent time alone with God, there was always more to do. There was always more to do. Whenever he spent time alone with God, there were always more people that needed to be healed. There was always more that the disciples needed to be taught. There's more people that needed to have an encounter with Jesus, more religious oppressors that needed to be straightened out. Whenever Jesus spent time alone with God, there were, there were always more people who needed to hear about the kingdom of God. More that needed to be encouraged, more that needed to be loved. But I'm going to stress this again. Whenever Jesus spent time alone with God, there was always more to do. There was always more that needed to be done. There was never a single time that Jesus spent alone with God when his work was finished. There was never a single time that Jesus spent alone with God when people didn't want him to be doing something else. When you see how abruptly at times Jesus left the crowds, you can justifiably say that there were many times when Jesus chose time alone with God at the risk of disappointing other people. But Jesus was too busy to not spend time with God. That's worth writing down. His life was too busy to not spend time with God. He was too busy to 
His life and his involvement in this world were too important to not spend time with God. And there's so much power awaiting our lives when we start to see that to be true in our own lives. When we start to see that we're too busy not to spend time with God. Our work is too valuable for us not to spend time alone with God. Our role as a mother or as a father is too important for us not to spend time alone with God. Our role as a husband or a wife is too important to not spend time alone with God. Our schoolwork, our social life, too important to not spend time alone with God. The people that we come across in our day-to-day, those who need to be loved, those people are too important for us to not spend time alone with God. I mean, are we busy? Sure. But what if we've been looking at this the wrong way the whole time? What if we've had so much to do that we cannot afford to neglect time alone with Jesus? We cannot afford to not have him speaking to us, guiding us, recharging us, and showing us how to go about our lives in this messy, messy world. Although our lives are different in a bunch of varying ways, one thing that we can assuredly all agree with is that whatever you have to sacrifice to be alone with God will be more than worth it. Is your schedule going to change? Maybe. Are people always going to understand it? Probably not. Will some of them be disappointed with you? Oh, most definitely. But what better company to be in than Jesus's in that regard? Life was undoubtedly busy for Jesus. Therefore, Jesus intentionally sought a time and a place that was free from distraction. For us today, those distractions include people, email, social media, uh, cell phones. Our children grow up in the most distracted generation in the history of mankind. Let's conclude this teaching with a very practical exercise that you guys can do this week. When you get home from today's gathering or if you stop tuning in from home, get out your calendar or get out your journal and set a time and a place to pray that is quiet and distraction-free. Find some time with God where we can invite him into our circumstances, into our hopes, our fears, our dreams, and our pain. For most people, the mornings are a good time. For some people, it's like an afternoon walk. Uh, For some people, it's in the evening, just a time to pray and get away from everything. Set a modest goal. This isn't like a New New Year's resolution where you're going to plan to do this like seven times a day, daily, seven days a week. Maybe think to yourself, like, I I can figure out how to do this three times a week. Three times a week, I can figure out how to set aside 15 minutes every morning. Set a modest goal. Something that feels a little challenging, but very doable. That way you're setting yourself up for success. For those of us who are here today, or watching at home with a close friend or spouse or significant other, let's help each other carve out that time. Let's encourage each other to have that time alone with God because we'll be better people on the other end for it. It may cause some sacrifice on our end in different ways, but still, I'm convinced that there is nothing greater to sacrifice for than spending time with God who sent his son as a sacrifice for us.
Let's pray. God, I thank you so much um, for this time this morning, this time that we have to, uh, to gather together, um, everyone that's here, everyone that can't make it, that's watching from home. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have just to study your word and to understand more about how we can pray. You've given us so many good examples and, and this model specifically, how to pray away from everything, away from all of the, the distractions in life, Lord, how to just get away on our own and spend time with you. I'm so thankful for this. I thank you for this time that we all have to come together in the midst of our busy lives and set aside everything and hear about this message, hear about your word. Lord, we just ask that you, uh, you be with us throughout the week as we go from here. Help to keep us safe. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.